I've gotten to that age. Sleeping wrong one night can leave me a pain in my neck for a week. I can pull a muscle simply by picking up a piece of paper. A younger Dominican priest that I used to live with took a serious fall when he was skiing, was in a good deal of pain, and so went to the doctor. He got the usual battery of tests. When reviewing them with his doctor, the doctor said, well, Father, if you were in your 20s, you'd be sore for a couple of days. If you were in your 40s, you would have torn your rotator cuff and needed surgery. But because you're in, the, in your 30s, you're going to be sore for a long time and need months of physical therapy. The older we get, the less quickly the body bounces back. Simple things take a long time to heal, and serious things take a really long time to heal. And the older we get, the longer it takes. I think this is a good image for what we hope for in the new heaven and the new earth, spoken by the book of Revelation. At the general resurrection, we are not going to get a different body, like trading in an old car for a new car. Rather, our current body is going to be transformed. It will no longer be subject to all the effects of sin, change, decay, and death. In other words, our bodies are going to have the perfection that they were always meant to have. And given the apostles' encounters with the risen Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, it seems that our wounds will still be in evidence, but they will no longer be a source of pain or suffering. Now, as far as the rest of creation goes, the oldest commentary we have on the book of Revelation from the sixth century puts it this way. The apostles John and Peter mean that the present realities have cast off their corruption and become new, putting off their filth as though it were an old and dirty garment. The creation that shall then be free of every corruption that it contracted through the transgression of humankind. Now, in the gospel, we have a remarkable shift in the conversation of Jesus with his apostles at the Last Supper. After instituting the Eucharist and washing his disciples' feet, Judas finally leaves. He has already betrayed Jesus and now goes to lead Jesus' captors to him in the garden. In thinking of the timing of Judas' exit, I can only imagine that he can no longer stand to be in the presence of Jesus any longer. His guilty conscience can no longer abide being in the presence of goodness itself. And Jesus now speaks of his glory, soon to be manifested in his cross and his resurrection. Now he speaks of them as a single event, 
two sides of the same coin. He enters his glory by embracing his cross. The apostles simply cannot wrap their heads around this. They don't understand how Jesus' death will lead to his glory. How often we are in the same boat. And that incomprehension is exactly why they cannot follow Jesus at that moment. And he tells them so. Now is the key word, because they will follow him eventually. They will be transformed after his resurrection and when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. But that night at the Last Supper, they were not yet ready, not yet fit, literally, to follow him to death. Nor, I suspect, are we. And here is where Jesus introduces his new commandment. It's part of the remedy, part of what will help them to get where he is going and where he wants them and us to be. In his teachings, Jesus repeatedly quoted the Old Testament's golden rule, to love our neighbors as ourselves. He even added his own wrinkle, his own challenge, to that well-known axiom by saying that we were to love our enemies as ourselves. Now there's a mighty challenge. But here at the Last Supper, the Lord goes even further than that, saying that his disciples are to love one another as he loved them. St. Cyril of Alexandria puts it this way, Our Lord Jesus, the Christ, loved us far more than he loved himself. Otherwise, he would never have descended to our humiliation from his original exaltation in the form of God and on an equality with God the Father. Nor would he have undergone for our sakes the exceptional bitterness of his death in the flesh, nor have submitted to beatings, to shame, to derision, and all his other sufferings too numerous to mention. Being rich, he would never have become poor if he had not loved us more than himself. This was indeed something new for love to go that far." Unquote. Peter and the other apostles' personal experience of that love transformed them from the cowards that they were on Easter to the bold apostles they were on Pentecost. It is the encounter with the same ineffable love of God that, have, that has transformed saints of every age and time into living icons and vessels of the divine mercy. Ultimately, it will transform the entire cosmos, as we heard it described in the book of Revelation this morning, as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, some supporters of abortion rights are calling for a summer of rage to protest the possible overturning of Roe versus Wade. 
we Catholics and other people of goodwill who cherish not only unborn children, but all human life from conception to natural death, we cannot respond in kind. We must not. Answering rage with rage and hatred with hatred is a contraindication of the gospel of Jesus. It fuels and increases the violence that is the manifestation and the source of the culture of death. Rather, if we are to answer Christ's call to be agents of transformation, we need to respond with love, and not just with human love, but with divine love, the love that he showed on the cross, a love that sacrifices everything for its enemies, that thirsts for the faith of everyone and cries for forgiveness for its persecutors. A love that we take into ourselves when we receive his body and blood in the Eucharist. Come, Lord, heal and transform us.